0: Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm Propel. And today, we're looking at an issue a lot of leaders and reputation advisors grapple with. How should leaders use their digital presence during major events or crises? Look, it's, it's one thing to build a digital presence and to engage when times are good. But what about when things are a little more complicated, when the situation isn't black and white or you know, perhaps there isn't one right answer and whether that's due to a self-inflicted crisis, if I can call it that, or something that's perhaps more of a widespread or global issue like we're seeing in the Ukraine or through COVID or even movements like Black Lives Matter or Me Too. Regardless of whether you're in the right or not, the question for all leaders and comms teams is often, Should we speak up or should we stay silent online until the dust settles? Well, our guest today, joining us from the UK, has a wonderful and very timely point of view on this, as he recently looked into the posting habits of global CEOs in response to the conflict in Ukraine. I can't wait to hear what his research revealed and what other leaders can learn from his insights. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Phil Shomshaw, co-founder and partner at Brightside Digital Engagement to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for having us on. So Phil, let's dive straight into this really meaty and complex topic. In in your view, how should leaders use their digital presence during what we can classify as major events or crises?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Ukraine Situation: The war in Ukraine is, is highly unusual. I mean, we've never seen uh, anything of its kind before. As comms professionals, so I think it was it's been a real test of uh, CEOs and business leaders' approach to using social media. Uh, we were getting asked lots of questions ourselves about, you know, should we should we post, should we stop? Exactly how you just described. So, I thought I would, uh, being slightly geeky, get get in there and have a look at what other people are doing. So we. I did some um, desk research of 50 CEOs of uh, big uh, listed companies, uh, mostly in the UK and the US. And um, we looked at those people that were already active on LinkedIn, uh, because as you know, not many CEOs are actually active um, on social media in the first place. Uh, And what we found was most business leaders carried on posting um, once the war had started. So 84% of, uh, of CEOs carried on posting. But 42% of them uh, posted explicitly about the invasion, and 36% posted about action-oriented posts. And what I mean by that is saying what they're actually doing about it, whether it's withdrawing uh, from from Russia or whether it was sending aid or doing something along that, along those lines. And um, it's you know it's been quite interesting looking at the response to to those posts because. Uh, you can tell that a lot of them had had some some comms assistance. I mean, a CEO of a listed company isn't going to be posting about the Ukraine invasion without comms professionals. Uh, but it was quite quite a mixed bag. Uh, a lot of CEOs uh, being called out for being too slow. Uh, some of them being praised for, for for their empathy. So it was it was quite a, a mixture of responses. And you know, and bearing in mind these are people that are already active on on LinkedIn.
0: There's some really interesting numbers there, Phil. And I mean, even the, if I'm doing my maths right, the six percent that said something that really had no meaning to it, it seems like an interesting the difference between that 36 and 42%. That's that's an interesting little insight there. I'm interested to know from the analysis that you did, those that did things well, in your view, and that can be completely subjective, what did they do differently? Perhaps in their message Uh, on social media as opposed to their messages in or more traditional messages through other channels like a media release or like an interview with mainstream press? What was different about their social media message?
1: Well, I think you'll find that those leaders that had uh, an easier ride, if you like, um, through, through this invasion were those that were already very active and had uh, some more experience in terms of uh, of dealing with with their public. So let me use an example uh, of one I use quite frequently is Bernard Looney, who's the CEO of BP. Now BP is a company that attracts quite a lot of attention. Not all of it very positive. They're dealing with very very complex situations, uh, and he came out quite early uh, with some you know a very empathetic post talking about what he's going to do. But that's the sort of thing he does do. He 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 is regular in his activity, and uh, what he did that very few other CEOs did was was respond to the comments. So there are yeah you know, the types of comments that CEOs were getting were um you know the, the kind of thing well why 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 this war why you know what 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 are you doing about the Yemen or Afghanistan or other situations um and you know why haven't you acted sooner or. Uh, you know, why aren't you withdrawing altogether? And he gave some quite robust responses to to some of those comments, um, you know, which I think, you know, even though he's, you know, attracting flack, uh, but we're seeing a lot of that throughout social media anyway. Uh, he's dealt with it in a in a really, uh, you know, really well and, and very balanced uh, and, and demonstrating, you know, connected leadership, really. So um, I think he was probably the best that I saw. Um, but, you know, I think being being quick, uh, so uh, Chris uh, Kemplinsky, I probably pronounced his uh, wrong, the CEO of uh, McDonald's, um, that, you know, they were almost at the point, you know, there was a, a bit of a hashtag brewing. I don't know if you saw it at the time about sort of boycott McDonald's because they were being quite slow to respond. Um, so, uh, so he was sort of, you know, the brand was already taking a bit of a battering. But he did come out and he did write a very good post um, which which explain things. And I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people, um, you know, the general public don't give uh, CEOs credit for the complexity of the decision making that they're dealing with. So, you know, a company like McDonald's, the, you know, withdrawing from that market is a huge decision. You know, what do you do with all the people? How do you communicate to them? Do you keep paying them? What do you do with your supply chain? All of that kind of stuff. And I, you know, people aren't very patient for those things. Um, So, but you know, he gave a a great response when he did get to it
0: uh, in the end. So, Phil, I'm sitting here thinking, if I am on the fence, if I'm a leader or someone in a communications team who's advising leaders on how to respond to these sorts of things in the future, the picture you're painting, it sounds a little bit intimidating. It's 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 a really Hungry and impatient audience who's waiting for information, for waiting for comment from you. what what's the sort of what is the way that you might counsel someone who's sitting in that chair, fearful of um, the the resource and the requirement to respond to that social media audience that is ever ever increasing in its demands?
1: Well, I mean you've you've touched on something there that there's, there's no doubt about it that CEOs are really nervous about social media. And, you know, I know that you'll have spoken to to many, many in the past. I'd be interested in what kind of responses you get from people. But, you know, I hear things like uh, it's too risky. Um, You know, what happened? How, you know, I can't deal with the volume of responses. Um, I'm, you know, I'm worried about what happens if it spirals out of control. Uh, You know, I can't control all all the messages. So, you know, it's something we get a lot. And um I'd liken it to uh to sort of media relations really. I think a lot of what we do is actually more in the PR world than in the marketing world. And um, you know, you would you would prepare, uh you should prepare for social media in the same way that you would uh to, to, to media relations. You know, you you practice, <laughs> you set things up properly, you have a team behind you, uh, you work out your messaging and all of those things. It's exactly the same as what we've all been trained to do those that have come through the PR channel, so um, I would sort of advise them to sort of think of it in those terms. And I think the advantage of social media is that you are in control of the channel. I mean, how many times as a PR person have I been sort of frustrated by how the media has actually printed what my what my client has said? Um, you know, they they leave bits out. They don't. You know, they've, they've got their own angle. They want to provide the balance and the, uh, for their readers. Uh, which is, you know, as a PR person, can be quite frustrating. Uh, so, you know, they have an opportunity here to have the stage and have some control over the channel. Um, but uh, yeah, my, my general advice is think about it in PR terms.
0: It's a really good point. We talk about taking back control of the narrative. And I think that is sometimes lost in the mix there when people compare, um, you know, the, or look at the risk perceived risk behind social media they don't always see that opportunity linked to that control piece if you're depending on a third party like media mainstream media you are essentially at their mercy to get a message out as you said there you control your social media channels you control your dialogue there well if we flip this around though and there's you know concern perhaps or 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 discomfort around saying something and saying the wrong thing or saying it too slowly what does the alternative look like, do you think? What does silence look like in times like these when stakeholders are looking for guidance?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I think if you're already silent, uh, then people will just take to, to other channels and you're just not having an opportunity to have your say. Uh, so you're kind of missing out on the right of response uh, and the right to, you know, to, to steer the, the narrative in, in the direction you want to, to steer it. Um, for those that are suddenly silent, I think that's a, that's a different thing because that suggests some sort of guilt uh, or some sort of avoidance of the situation. So through the research, we noticed that you know a number of a number of CEOs. Uh, I'm not going to name them actually, but some, for some really serious companies of you know that I highly respect and they're great on social media, they they just stopped posting um, when when the Ukraine invasion happened. And I was thinking, you know, the first thing I'm thinking is, well, why you know. Uh, have have you got something to hide? Are you still operating in these countries? Um, have you? I don't know if you've seen the um, piece of research that uh, Yale School of Management has done around the. Um, it's kind of uh, it's not naming and shaming, but it's basically looking at the number of companies that are still active in Russia, and they've, they've they're running a list on it. And there's 500 companies uh, to date have, uh, have pulled out of Russia, and basically they've got a list. I'll send you the link. It's showing the companies that have completely withdrawn those that are sort of hedging their bets and those that are, you know, that are, that are not, uh, not withdrawing at all. And, um, you know, as we discussed with the example of McDonald's and we saw with Coca-Cola and some other really serious brands, they were getting a lot of flack for, for not sort of doing something about this situation. And, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not active, uh, then, you know, then I, I think that's a problem.
0: So what about the group? And maybe there was a group from the research that you did that had this characteristic or maybe just generally from your opinion. What do we do for people who suddenly see this as an opportunity to start talking? Was there, was there a response from leaders like that who saw this as a, something they could um, leverage to their advantage?
1: I didn't see that in, in the in the research, uh, but I was looking at very large companies, so those of over hundred million dollar turnovers, and they're not you know, people aren't going to start uh, being active on social media during a crisis in that situation. Um, I think there's a risk that, um, that 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 can sometimes be looking to be ambulance chasing or trying to sort of get some advantage out of the situation by only beginning in, in a crisis. So I think we saw things like that during the Black Lives Matter movement where. Uh, you know, suddenly there were sort of squares appearing on Instagram and Twitter and, and and LinkedIn that were all black and, you know, the people that hadn't been previously active. And, I th- you know, I, th- I think the general public and stakeholders look at that quite cynically. So I think there is a danger to sort of start during this time. But, you know, if, if you're going to do something during the crisis and it makes you realise that this is the time to start being active on social media, then, then you are putting the time into the preparation, for, you know, forming your team who's going to help you working out what your, what your message is going to be going forward, uh, doing the training, working out the kind of the workflow and who deals with comments and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, to start the planning rather than diving in uh, during a crisis, because unless you're prepared, it really isn't the time to start uh, doing something that, that might be quite alien to somebody.
0: So I want to come back to something you touched on there around that kind of woke culture concept and and how that's, you know, picked up, I don't know, popularity is probably the wrong word, but it's certainly picked up prominence through social media and a lot of skepticism from consumers. But I want to hone in first on that idea you've touched on now and something you mentioned with Bernard Looney at BP as well, that concept around, you know, pre-planning. We always talk to clients about not building your fort in the battle. It's the Mm. worst time to go up and and stick your head up. Best time to get attention and awareness, but certainly not the best time to protect your Mm, reputation. mm. So I would encourage it. In in your eyes, what benefit does this pre-planning, if I can call it that, um, and being active online well before any crisis actually happens, what benefit does that have for leaders? What did you see through the research? Well, I think general, general advice, and
1: it's, it sounds like it's, it's very similar to yours. I like the uh, building the fort during the battle. I might steal that myself, actually. as a great way of describing it. Um, yeah, I, I think the advantage of this kind of planning is really around uh, getting your story straight and working out you know, what your online persona is going to be. Um, I think one of the uh, differences that you see from uh, regular social media planning and strategy is that... Uh, you can't just sort of take the brand channels messaging and say, right, if we're BP, you know, let's let's look at the message house and then just apply that to Bernard Looney because Bernard Looney is a human being. He needs to get his own sort of authentic uh, self across. So, you know, when you're going through that planning process, it's not just sort of taking the uh, the narrative and the messaging documents from corporate comms and saying, right, now let's apply it and overlay it onto humans because it just looks, you know, they'll just look like robots. And, 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 and not believable. Uh, so there needs to be some work in terms of work deciding, you know, what, what, are, what are our talking points? What are our key themes? What do we want to say about that? What's our insight? Um, you know, and that's going to be based on our own experience, as well as uh, drawing from uh, the experience and, and, and the data and the stats available from the company. So, you know, for me, that, that planning stage, being able to get the authentic persona right is, is really important. Uh, and then there's a, a bunch of um, sort of tactical things to consider as well around, you know, how how you sort of handle the uh, the channel itself. Who actually does the posting? You know, what the hashtags you're going to use? Who, who's going to post replies? Um, you know, what 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 what's the CEO going to uh, reply to, and what's a third party, you know, a, a comms person going to reply to on their behalf? Because. Yeah, I know. I know this isn't a very popular view outside of comms, but it's not realistic for you know this um you know in the research these these CEOs were getting three four five hundred comments. They can't reply to all of those themselves, so they tend to ignore them all. So actually, having having a team in place to review things and surface the comments that are definitely worth replying to uh, and acknowledge all of them uh, is very important. So there's a bunch of sort of tactical things to plan out as well as uh, getting that narrative right, um, and then sort of just um, you know actually what we recommend uh, normally doing is starting with a pilot. To be honest, so you know I wouldn't start with the CEO. I would start with somebody else on the leadership team or you know, you know a vice president, senior vice president level, so somebody very senior, and run a pilot with them, and then sort of see what you learn from that, and then when you start the CEO communications, you can sort of you've got you've got something to draw on in terms of looking at how people are responding to to what they've got to say.
0: There's some really interesting examples there, Phil, and and the the thinking behind that too. I, I understand where you're coming from and if I can try and package it up, it sounds like if you've done these things ahead of time or if you've run a pilot and you've learned from it, what that's doing is when these major crises or instances, events hit, you're freed up from thinking about some of that tactical stuff that you perhaps don't need to you're freed up to look at things with a bit more objectivity you're not reacting to things that you might see that if you're unfamiliar with this environment you're suddenly fearful and you're distracted and your resource is drawn to the wrong things so leaders like bernard looney as you're saying if they are comfortable if this environment is intuitive to them they then have the time to comment which comes across as more authentic as you're saying. Or, you know, they're writing a message which naturally understands the tone and voice of their audience. So, again, that pre planning piece is critical to ensure that you're freeing up your headspace, particularly of key leaders, to say the things that really matter when it really matters.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And it's like sort of muscle memory, isn't it? When you do things a certain amount of time, yeah, in a, in a fairly sort of regular business as normal context, then you, you kind of you sort out all of the kinks and um, you know, the things that might trip you up. Like, what time do we post? Um, how do we respond to the comments? Uh, which channels are we going to be active on? Um, do we use a photo? Yeah. What are the hashtags? All of those kind of very, very mundane things, but are important to get right. You can you can do that all in the BAU stage, and then when, you, as you've just suggested, when you're, you're when you're going into a crisis or you know, a major event that you you want to look at, um, then you're going to sort of take advantage from it. Um, it's funny. One, one of the one of the other things I, I noticed from the research actually, just to sort of bring this in and just get your perspective as well, is um, I noticed when I was doing it. I wish I'd actually started when I was doing the survey because I did it. It was all desk research was I noticed a lot of people were at that time uh, posting about International Women's Day. So that had happened sort of about a week after um, people were starting to get active about the Ukraine invasion. And it almost seemed, and this is anecdotal observation, it almost seemed like there were more CEOs prepared to talk about International Women's Day. Uh, And the theme this year was uh, break the bias. And it involved CEOs sort of um, standing in front of a camera and putting a a kind of cross like an X-Man symbol um, and, and the amount of men <laughs> doing this and, you know, that, that goes into a whole nother topic area. Um, it's just thinking, yeah, but you're not talking about, <laughs> you're not talking about the Ukraine invasion, which in Europe and, and from the States, we've got a lot of clients in the States, you know, that's surely that, you know, you can't do one and not the other. So I think, uh, it, it, you know, you can, you, to me, you've got permission to do some of these other things and ride on the back of, um, kind of bau stuff that that leaders are going to want to do to to buy themselves some goodwill and show that they're connected to their audiences but if you don't deal with the big stuff i think you're leaving a gaping hole uh that uh, that is very obvious
0: i think that's a really really important point and it's kind of you can't be that fair weather ceo you can't pick and choose the topics that you want to talk about at the end of the day it's what is impacting your stakeholders your audiences and what they want to hear from you at that time and I think a good example I mean you've mentioned quite a few today a good example for me was you know in little old Australia where things are happening on the other side of the world um, one of the CEOs of, of our largest telecommunications business Telstra um, he actually was in a conference in Barcelona so over in Spain and uh, even being there, and as you say, things like International Women's Day or other major events being you know, um, uh, more of a priority for some leaders to talk about, even being in, Sp- in Spain, Andy Penn was... Quite aware of what was happening back home, he was aware that there were floods happening here locally in Australia on the east coast. He was aware that obviously there was a the conflict taking place, the invasion in Ukraine, and he just shot a, a, a short video. I think it was no more than two minutes, director camera, and talking about a range of things, but making it very clear that he understood what was happening and acknowledging the impact that would have on the audiences who were listening to his comments on LinkedIn. And so, as you say, even if he'd come to deliver a message at the the world uh, or the global mobile conference or whatever. It was where he was attending he knew that he suddenly had to change tact based on what was happening around him and that awareness again if you've pre-planned and if you're comfortable in this space you have that awareness to know when to change tact
1: mm, but that's if, a fantastic if I, example can I just make, build on that and, and make please. another observation that you bring up around video uh because very few CEOs um, or, or business leaders are, you know, at all levels are very comfortable with with video, and I think it's just such a such a massive opportunity. Um, in the example, the, the brilliant example you've just given, where you know it doesn't have to be highly polished studio production video. Um, you know, <laughs> it could just be shot on a phone. I mean, we saw a lot of this uh, in in um, in the uh, COVID uh, in the pandemic, didn't we? And um, the one that springs to mind for me is uh, Jacinda Ardern, um, the New Zealand uh, Prime Minister. And she was just using, um, you know, her phone to to record these little pieces and, uh, and, put, and put those out on Facebook and what what have you. They were brilliant, you know, and it, it was just, you know, it was just shot in her office. Uh, you know, fantastically powerful communications.
0: Purpose over polish, Phil, yeah. that's what we always talk about. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the purpose of it, but it's, yeah, there's so so much around the sort of timeliness of social media and, Mm. um, you know, I'm not a crisis communications expert, but when I, when I talk to colleagues that are, you know, they, the phrase they they always use is the golden hour. You've got an hour to get your, you know, stuff together. And, um, you know, and, and social media is fantastic for that because you can, as long as you've got your message straight and what you want to say, you can, you can put something out on your phone. Uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or whatever, and it can it can reach millions um, instantly.
0: It's a really good point. And, and going back to what you were talking about before, which I think does link to what we've just been discussing, how important is it, do you feel, for leaders to actually stay in their swim lanes? So, if I'm a leader, for example, who has always talked about certain issues, International Women's Day being a really good example, if I'm known for my for being a voice around equality, how then, when things come up that perhaps sit outside? the the common topics or the topics that I'm best known for or most comfortable talking about or even authorised to talk about, how important is it today that leaders have a view on every issue or is it wiser for them to actually comment only on issues that are clearly linked to either them or their organisation? What do you think the expectation is today?
1: That's a fantastic question. Uh, It's a really interesting one. So I think that generally speaking, and this is actually for all of us, it's important to to have some topics that you're passionate about and have some authority on. And I think when you start, I I notice this in my own activity and I'm not, you know, I'm not a CEO of a big company, clearly. Uh, But if I start talking about things that are a little bit outside of my area of expertise and where where I don't have any authority at all, the reaction I get is just very kind of like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, Phil's talking about, um, you know, this this particular topic. He's never talked about it before. So why should I suddenly care uh, what he's got to say, know, um, it's quite disheartening. You know, well, you know, this thing actually really matters to me. I'm, I, I really care about this thing, but uh, but nobody cares. Um, and you sort of, you know, amplify that out to you know, CEO of a large company, and that that magnifies, uh, you know, that that impact. And I think it can it can look really disingenuous. Um, having said that, when there are you know world events like uh, Black Lives Matter. I, th- I think it's hard, you know. You, you know, at the same time, some of those things is a judgment call about whether it is of of, uh, of such importance that you can't not ignore it. Um, you can't ignore it. But uh, I think, on the whole, though, it is best to to find the areas that you. That I mean, the, the three the three points that we use when we talk about this for for clients from a strategy point of view is topics that uh, that your audiences care about, topics that you care about, and topics that you have uh, authority on. And if you combine those things, you've got a theme or an area that you can really take ownership of.
0: I think that's really neat. And and the only thing I'd add to that that might hopefully fill in some of the gaps is, Uh, having more of a coalition mindset so as Mm -hmm. you're saying there if you're being drawn into conversations like phil has been in the past that he's not authorized to talk about uh if you can lean on someone within your Mm -hmm. leadership team one of your Mm -hmm. peers who can who is better placed to have that conversation and even give them your platform elevate them and and um uh, promote what they're talking about uh can help fill a fill a gap phil you you've talked through um a lot of the research, which has been incredibly helpful and examples in that, those that are strong, uh, those which we can learn from as well as leaders. I'm just wondering, having done all this work and even work that you've done previously, to be honest, it doesn't just have to focus on the Ukraine. Uh, what do you, you know, what is your practical advice for leaders or their trusted advisors? What, what should they do to protect or even enhance their digital reputation in these sorts of, you know, crises or ma- major events?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think we've, we've covered quite a lot of it already, but just sort of to, to recap, I suppose, in, in, in many respects. So um, I think it's run, run a pilot um, first of all. So don't sort of start with your CEO. Uh, make sure that you've, you've, got, um, you've got you've got you've, you've kind of got some learnings to draw from. Um, spend some time getting your story right in a, in a way that's authentic to the business leader. That it's not um, it's not something that uh, the, the comms department has decided for them. Um, make sure you get their buy in um, we didn't talk a lot about this one actually but uh, you know, it's, it's essential that, um, that they realise that this is part of their job in the same way that they take doing a media interview uh, seriously they've got to also um, you know, take take this seriously and take some ownership of it so they can't just outsource it to the comms department and go there's my logins off you go they have to be involved um, and see the advantages to them as well that this is a good thing for them Having a team around to help, so uh, you know they're going to draw from a few different disciplines, um, and they have to be very, very much trusted to to the CEO. So this isn't the sort of activity you outsource to the account executive of your your comms agency. You know this is serious stuff, so you make sure that you've got a full team around you. Um, And then also think about this being part of a long term strategy as well. You know, I'm sure you talk about this with your clients, too, that you can't just expect to get sort of instant results and everything to work perfectly on on day one. That it is something that takes time to build up, um, just like any other reputation. (laughs) Uh, Reputations aren't formed overnight. So uh, play the long game.
0: Completely agree, Phil. And I love that point about, you know, not giving it to the account executive. It's funny, suddenly how valuable and powerful social media becomes when there's a crisis, right? (laughs) All of a sudden we realize, hang on, who's holding the keys? Um, And I think what I've heard from you as well through the, the course of this conversation is that element around confidence and feeling comfortable, ideally, you want to feel comfortable in this environment in order to not get flustered in a crisis. And whether that's yourself or whether that's the capability in the team to ensure that you you know you have crutches to lean on as needed as a leader. Um, consistency, you've said that many, many times. And I think the last point for me is around control. Controlling your narrative, controlling your views or having your say on a specific topic is so important so that others aren't dictating terms at the time when people are, are, you know, most scrutinizing your efforts. Phil, this has been such a valuable practical conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on your digital reputation.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, you got me thinking about a few things too. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate the conversation and uh, questions.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.